welcome back to another episode of Butter With That. Um, This week we have a very special episode for you all, um, which uh, we're going to introduce. We have our first guest on the show, right? First guest, guest, second guest. guest. Yeah. Okay. Who was our first guest? Alyssa. Alyssa. Rosemary's baby. Oh, Alyssa Arts and Witchpath Podcast. Check them out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I know that they are having a little delay on putting their podcasts up, but- It'll be up soon, which yeah. will be really exciting. Um, and I just like how how are folks doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to have my friend Tom. Hi, I'm Tom. That's right. Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I work with the wonderful cast of Butter with That, ah. and uh, uh, I have a bit of an interest in maritime history, and I'm a bit of a nerd. You'll fit in very nicely. Yes, we (laughs) decided to have Tom on as our nautical expert, uh, so he will be giving us many, many a nautical fact. I'll do my best. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's so appropriate for what we're talking about today. Yeah. My God, is it? Um, And I'm very excited to be back talking with you all since the month of October was absolutely insanity between the movie introductions and the Philadelphia Film Festival and Horrorthon. I have seen like 50 movies <laughs> the past month that's a lot so of movies. it's it's been a lot and things are finally settling down now which is why this week i was able to see two great movies uh parasite and the lighthouse which we are very excited to be discussing today i'm so excited yeah i love this movie so much it was um, amazing. oh yeah. yeah and it's yeah it is uh it's our first movie too that we're doing that is uh still in theaters mm-hmm. so we are i guess uh via our outline we are going to uh make a point to kind of steep things off when uh spoilers are going to be introduced because uh we're going to get into a lot of them yes that is true so (laughs) and talking about what happens throughout the movie if you don't like even if you don't care about spoilers it really won't make a whole lot of sense yeah that's true also and also just recommend seeing this truly wonderful amazing weird film but see it beforehand so that way you can maybe email us and tell us your thoughts and interpretations on this movie because there is a shit ton of stuff to unpack here i think my brain is still a little fuzzy (laughs) um since saturday night um but yeah i guess uh dave do you want to give like the brief intro for the the movie well yeah i mean a quick plot synopsis i guess uh spoiler free plot synopsis so you folks don't have to tune out yet if you haven't checked it out which again you should um is uh, this is a a film in uh, the 1890s, um, wherein uh, Robert Pattinson's character Ephraim Winslow is brought to uh, a lighthouse station uh, that is manned by Willem Dafoe's character, uh, that Thomas uh, Wake. Um, we see the two of them kind of. Uh, we see a lot of things. Whether or not any of them actually happen is a question. Um, the short run synopsis though is that they they tend to a lighthouse with. Um, I suppose an, uh, an interesting and uh, vague, equally antagonistic and affectionate relationship between the two of them as uh, it sort of descends into uh, a kind of spiral of uh, maritime madness would be, I guess, the, the most succinct and spoiler-free summary that I could provide. Yeah, I think that uh, that pretty much covers it. <laughs> uh, and it's directed by uh, Robert Ecker, who um, also directed The Witch a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, which I really love that movie. Um, it's only his second film, and he is 36. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And um, his, he wrote this one also with the help of his uh, brother, who is seven years his younger. I think so. Which is pretty crazy. And it sounds like that his brother gave him the idea ages ago. Yeah. And it got kind of put on the back burner for The Witch. So this is cool because they're... I think are some some very basic similarities between the movies. There might be some more like in-depth ones that you could go into as well, um, or at least comparisons. Um, but uh, Robert Ecker, like very obviously, he grew up in New England uh, and very much cares for uh, New England stories and specifically New England history. Because what I really loved about The Witch um, was just that it's very accurate to folklore at the time. And he definitely gets into a lot of folklore uh, with the light house as well um so yeah i guess that's like the most we can say before Pretty we much. really dive into <laughs> the meat of the film again go go see it before you listen on we all recommend it yes for highly sure. recommend it Ten out of maritime 10 for madness. Me, yeah. yeah it was wonderful <laughs> hashtag maritime madness mm-hmm 
Yeah, I mean, Dave, when's the last time you've done this with a film where you've seen it repeatedly in theaters? Um, I think it would have been Fury Road, probably. Yeah. I mean, uh, Fury Road was the most I've seen a movie in theaters. I saw it seven times. <laughs> um, but, like, this is a movie that, like, I'm, in a sense, a little more excited about than that. Because, like, Fury Road I knew was going to be great because it's, it's riding the coattails of my favorite film franchise. And the trailers and, like, early press were incredible. And then it surpassed my expectations also, but this is like a kind of uniquely of its own story, a standalone, and it's also one of the more uniquely insane films I've ever seen. So I think it's the most excited I've been about a film in about 12 years, really, since There Will Be Blood. That's High pretty price. impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I could easily see this making its way into my top 10 over the years. Mm, that's very cool. I feel like this was a movie I'm so happy I saw in theaters um, because the um the way it's shot with black and white the use of shadows and the is a four three aspect ratio yeah four three or uh one nineteen one uh two different terms essentially for that same aspect ratio yeah very like kind of old-timey um early 20th century aspect ratio yeah very cropped heavy use of shadows and it just wouldn't have been the same if i was like all comfy on my couch <laughs> with a blanket like and also that day i was up since one in the morning and actually <laughs> yeah, i saw with dave and uh, his housemates and so yeah, seeing that after being up for a very long time, I think put me in the right headspace of like, <laughs> is, am I one. actually seeing this? Okay, let's go. Let's just go with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's like a good thing, too, because I know um, for like some of the notes we had and stuff we want to talk about, production details are one of them. So maybe that's a good thing to get into now before we get into more of some of the the themes and crazier elements of the, the movie. Yeah, for sure. And I do have a, a couple of production notes yeah. to that end. Um, I mean, the first of which is that the um, the film was uh, set in, as we said before, the uh, 1890s, was shot on 35 millimeter black and white uh, double X5222 uh, film, uh, all while augmenting the Panavision Millennium XL2 camera with vintage um, Baltar lenses from as early as uh, 1918 uh, and as late as about 1938. Um, so they used very, very old, uh, very old um and of the era technology as far as the camera lenses for capturing some of the material. Um, additionally, um, some things that made the uh, the production really interesting, as I understand it, were that it was a really grueling, uh, really grueling filming experience. Um, specifically in the sense that um, the cast and crew were under really extreme weather conditions, freezing temperatures, uh, cold Atlantic water, um, intense winds, snow, rain, no protective flora from the... Uh, Fortu Terrain, uh, which is the island that they filmed on. Um, much of the uh, the weather that is in the film is just actual weather. They didn't use my, many rain or wind machines. They weren't really needed most of the time. <laughs> um, and that one sort of scene where uh, Robert Pattinson, toward the beginning of the film, his character is making his way into the ocean, um, sort of following this uh, this sort of dreamy vision that he's seeing. Mm. Um, the camera lenses and camera equipment were freezing. Um, as they were trying to shoot the sequence. So he had to do, do that take about 25 times. Ooh. Yikes. <laughs> That's crazy that the camera equipment was breaking because it was so cold. <laughs> yeah. So a pretty grueling production as far as uh, as far as far all the notes uh, seem to indicate. Thomas, somebody who has been to several lighthouses and is a big fan of a few of them, how did you, what, what did you think about watching the movie and the setting and where um, they were at? Well, uh, I felt that one thing that really uh, there's a lot of good stuff in this. I mean, this movie is amazing. It's also one of those like, what did I just watch movies? But <laughs> definitely, it really is amazing. And I think that from an aesthetic, it really captures like what it was like to be a lightkeeper back in the 1800s and earlier. Just the isolation, the creepiness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's interesting is I, I know one of the facts I had read or trivia I had read was that there wasn't actually a real lighthouse. They actually built it themselves. Mm. Oh wow! Yeah. And I felt that looking at it, it was like looking at a New England style lighthouse. So to me, it felt very realistic whilst being like fantastical at the same time. And the um, the local community of Nova Scotia in that area has actually uh, lobbied for that set to be maintained. Oh, so that is apparently cool. going to remain uh, a standing lighthouse. Mm, I, I would go that. visit it. I would definitely yeah. visit that too. One thing that I thought was so great in this movie was how so Willem Dafoe is running the you know the old like lighthouse keeper Robert Pattinson's coming in to like help him be his assistant and just the all the mundane shit that he has to do mm-hmm. like shoveling the bringing the coal in across where there's like no road bring all these oil up to the top of the lantern just all this like mundaneness it was like a very for a while just kind of like a 
quiet, simple, like, um, not simple, just like down to earth, just like we're just doing our chores. And then slowly the film just like unravels as our characters are unraveling. Yeah. I'd say it goes kind of through like three different movements. It's like the uh, the tedium into like the hilarity into the madness. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the way the film rolls out. Yeah, so the film, uh, on if you look it up on IMDb, there are three characters listed. It is uh, William Defoe's character, Robert Pattinson, and then the woman who plays the mermaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those, it's literally three people. She doesn't even have any lines, so really it's two people. Just a haunting shriek. Just a, yeah. a wonderful shriek. Um, so really it's just the two of them. Um and I've always been a William Defoe fan because I just think he's such an insane acting presence mm-hmm. that I like seeing in things. But um, it's interesting seeing Pattinson recently doing a lot of cool, crazy stuff. I'm still feel like I'm like getting on like the Pattinson train, but like both of them were phenomenal. In oh this man, movie. yeah. I think Edgar said he didn't have anybody else in mind mm-hmm. for these parts. Oh, that's cool. There's also something that um, after seeing The Witch, um, Defoe actually approached uh, Eggers asking if he had another project that he might be <laughs> suited for, he would be down to do it, like pretty much no questions asked. That's great. Which is really cool as well. Yeah, and this is the second movie that came out this year I've seen with Robert Pattinson. The first one was High Life, which was a pretty kind of weird, trippy sci-fi movie from, like, a a female French director who I've never seen anything else she did. Um, But, like, both of those movies, I'm kind of like, okay, like, I I think he's, like, actually a pretty decent actor. I feel like this movie's going to do a lot of good press for the new Batman movie. Oh, yeah. That Pattinson starring it with uh, directed by Matt Reeves, who did one or two of the new Planet of the Apes movies. Because I know so much of the internet rhetoric was like, oh, the Twilight guy's in my Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this will do a lot of goodwill. Like, oh, he is yeah. a good actor. Uh, I just saw him in Good Times recently as well, uh, which is a pretty crazy movie. Um, but he's also like really phenomenal. And basically, it's like a crazy story about him trying to rescue his brother that has some sort of like um developmental like issue um and he is like in jail and so he's like trying to break his brother out of jail basically um it's pretty wild but like really really good and i think also kind of highlights um which is cool too for like this movie it's obviously about this very like this older presence and this younger (laughs) presence and it's also too like you have like this newer actor who like people are like kind of like eh, it's the twilight kid (laughs) like but then you also have william defoe who is a seasoned actor and has done some like pretty wild roles so i think that really works for the dynamic of these two men the film it's an interesting thing too that um eggers commented on in an interview was um a question of like do you think it'll detract from making this kind of like um a a period piece but in a way that is sort of like so abstract and almost timeless um to have two really familiar faces embody these uh these characters and should you have pursued like fresh faces or non-actors or something like that Mm. he basically said with confidence like no you know i mean i've seen both of them perform expertly and perform these parts and i know them to be able to disappear into their roles so i didn't think it would be a problem and i don't think it is yeah yeah it'd be different if you were casting like tom cruise sure like you hired tom cruise <laughs> there'd to be, be a lot tom more cruise. running in it he's jumping off a lighthouse <laughs> <laughs> it's just... show me the light <laughs> the light is mine <laughs> Wait, now I kind of want to see this. I, I do kind of want to see this now. Yeah, I just actually. want to like open a little window to an alternate reality yeah. and just see. Just like a, you know, a trailer for what that would look Add like. Add it to our movie ideas that you oh can pay God. us for. Um, <laughs> I had two more little notes actually about, um, I guess if we want to segue into their performances. Yeah, for sure. Um, some really pretty crazy stuff to be found there. And uh, included among that is that uh, Defoe and Pattinson stated that they barely spoke a word to each other on the set and were too exhausted to hang out after a day's shoot because the filming was so physically demanding due to the miserable weather conditions. Um, while Pattinson stayed at a normal hotel with the rest of the film crew during the shoot, Defoe lived in a little fisherman's cottage in solitude. He would do that. Uh, on set, on the <laughs> other hand, Pattinson would tend to eat and uh, stay by himself during filming breaks while Defoe stayed with the crew. Both stated that they very much liked each other uh, as soon as they had their first real conversation after the shoot months later. <laughs> Um, wow. Another kind of weird tidbit is uh, is part of Pattinson's process um, was that he had a, 
this as reported by the crew a somewhat unusual approach to psych himself up for the more emotionally extreme scenes robert eggers uh was quoted as saying sometimes he'd beat himself in the face so bad uh or he'd stick his fingers down his throat to make himself gag things like that um a particular scene where uh both characters are drunk and defoe lies on pattinson's chest uh he, quote, was sticking his fingers down his throat before that take, and Willem gave me a look as if to say, if Robert fucking pukes on me, <laughs> ellipsis, end of quote. <laughs> a, a question that I um, left wondering about um, Winslow is, what do you guys think about his accent? Oh, I look, do you have that too? I have something like that here. Yeah, let's about, see. Because yeah. it says what both of their dialects were. Yeah, okay. Pattinson's accent is uh, based off a very specific area of Maine farming dialect, while Defoe's is a jargon of Atlantic fishermen and sailors of the time. Um, there was like a New York kind of accent in Pattinson. He bounces around a couple different regions, yeah. I feel like, and yeah. it's more like extreme moments, which is kind of, I guess, maybe not uncharacteristic of British actors playing like an extreme American performance, mm. but... <laughs> I wonder if because so much of the movie is about identity and who is who and, you know, with I feel like Pattinson's like Winslow is set up to just be like, I want a fresh start, but he's hiding a dark past. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder, like, as toward the end of the movie, he is just totally unhinged. He's not even sure who he is anymore. So he's like bouncing around between because he was a logger. He's probably worked all over mm-hmm. New England doing various jobs, which or he said he did. Defoe even floats as like some weird gaslighting uh concept for him is like maybe you're not even here maybe you're still up in the canadian wilderness up to your waist in snow dying or something crazy you're like just that like, what the fuck are you trying to do man, <laughs> yeah. Shit Nutty, like man. <laughs> um yeah i don't know then uh if we should start getting more into like what the fuck yeah uh, i guess it's gonna take a lot of unpacking those are most of the production notes and yeah. things so i guess let's just try to figure out what happened and i suppose yeah if you've been listening so far this is probably about a good time to check out in terms of spoilers yeah yeah. Uh, anyone want to take a lead on what the fuck? <laughs> God, I don't know. So Our many new segment. <laughs> what yeah. the fuck? I I th- I view this movie and kind of reflecting on it as analyzing masculinity. It's kind of I saw it of like what is like what does it mean to be a man in the working world? It's kind of what I took away from it and just Pattinson trying to be anything at all, and then Willem Dafoe just. Probably, even if it's not true, just totally in sync with who he is. And so these two forces of I know who I am versus I don't know who I am kind mm-hmm. of like clashing. Which becomes an even broader metaphysical question <laughs> as the film carries out. Yeah. Tom, what what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, what, <laughs> yeah, what um, the fuck, Tom? That's a great way to sum up the movie. Um, I just... It was interesting because there's so many ways you can. Tr- I found that I could interpret this movie. Is it is it just like a character study of mental health issues in mm. that era? Because like lighthouse keeping in those days was maddening. I mean, there were yeah. people in the past who went mad and some killed people during it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like one of those is like, is it supernatural? Is there something else working on it? Is there like a Lovecraftian element? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Is it is there really like a Cthulhu guy hanging off the coast and he's just messing with them or? <laughs> Is it more of like, you know, they shouldn't be there because they're in the middle of nowhere and they shouldn't be there anyway? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I said the questioning the concept of lighthouses yeah. pretty thoroughly in the past few days. Yeah. Yeah. For for me, a big part I have like trouble with just unpacking it is, and I like that the movie does this. I think it's intentionally vague on so much of this stuff that you can try to derive bits of it. But, like, I kept being like, oh, maybe this is what's going on, and then finding evidence to support that, and then it kind of falling flat. Like, I felt like that happened a couple times for me. And then I was like, I don't even know why I'm bothering. Like, I just should be experiencing whatever this calamity is Mm -hmm. that's occurring in front of me. Mm -hmm. Which is why this is kind of a hard movie to spoil. I mean, it's more of a ride than it is a story in a lot of ways. Um. I don't know why, but like when I was sitting there thinking of other movies, I kept thinking about like The Witch for different reasons because like you know of the the director connection um, as well as the animals, which I want to talk about. Oh, big time! Um, but also, I kept thinking of The Shining when I was watching this movie. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Okay. Oh yeah, especially at the end when, he, yeah. when uh, Defoe has the axe, he's trudging he's through after the him. weather yeah. and the, the axe, and also just the severe isolation and everything. Yeah, I mean, when I was watching it, the scene 
Are we allowed to do spoilers now? At this oh, point? yeah. Okay. Yeah, spoilers. So, like, just, towards you, the end of the movie. Now. Yeah, <laughs> towards the end of the movie, um, there's a part where Pattinson's just like had enough and he's trying to leave, and then Defoe comes out with an axe and <gasps> chops the lifeboat up. That scene made me think of the scene in The Shining when the Jack Torrance character comes out and he sabotages the mm. uh, the um, snow cat so yeah. they can't oh, leave yeah. the overlook. And you see him dis- disassemble and, the radio. Yeah, and it was like, I felt like, like the movie for me, like in the first part, it is like, like I guess true to life and the like the routine and mon- you know the min- mundane type thing. But once things start to pick up, it really becomes like at one point it's like The Shining. At one mm-hmm. point it's like H.P. Lovecraft. The other point it's like a freaking haunted house movie. Mm. Yep. Like, but that scene when he destroys the light, the um, rowboat. Like I was like, that's just like what happened in The Shining because I think yeah. they even say like the same line, which is you don't don't leave mm. me or you yeah. can't leave me, and like I just I. That's all I kept thinking of in the last like twenty minutes of the movie. I'm like, here we go with the shining. I thought about that with the notebook too, when Pattinson finally gets his like journal that oh, he's been yeah, keeping. Yeah. I was like, is he about to open this and it's like the same phrase written? Why like, just spill your beans? Why just spill yeah. your beans? Why just what I was thinking? <laughs> or like you don't like me lobster. <laughs> oh. Oh, we'll return to that one. I think yeah. the um, his notebook, so since Defoe is the boss of the lighthouse, he keeps just like a daily journal, and I guess the U.S. government takes that and then gives patents and his money or whatever. You know, I guess mm. that's how that worked. Mm-hmm. And so that's such a great ticking bomb device throughout the movie because he always Defoe always has like the keys around his neck because he doesn't want Winslow to get up to the light. The light is his. Later in the film, he's like, it's my wife. Like, this is, you it's can't go up there. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, he locks his like secretary drawer that has the book in it, and so couple times throughout the movie Pattinson tries to like get the keys and just such a great mixture of like tension with that and also the black humor mm-hmm. it's so funny there is it's so so delightfully yeah. funny yeah and, and I was reading a couple interviews with Eggers and he was pe- the interviewers were like don't you feel weird that people are calling your dark comedy a horror and he's like people can say whatever they want about it I just wrote the movie like my brother and I wrote the movie you wanted to write one mm-hmm. thing that I thought was really funny too is that <clears throat> um and this kind of another production note is that the uh the farting <laughs> <laughs> Which is so present Union throughout the movie. Goddamn farts! <laughs> it's the uh, first joke in the movie too. It's and it is yeah. it is a joke. It was added, you know, it was uh, added in post, obviously, but it was written into the script, like fart by fart. Um, <laughs> and um, and he regarded it as like people like saying like um, he wanted to kind of throw people a little bit with that as like a cue that like. You know, it, it, with The Witch, it was such a, like, towering, emotional, and dour period piece that is, like, so tense and so haunting. With this, he really wanted to go out of his way to include humorous elements right at the onset. So his his whole attitude with the farts is basically, like, yeah, it, it's okay. You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> I know. For me, I kept thinking about, like, oh, so this is the difference between, like, his historical piece focused on, like, a woman and his historical piece focused on dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was the description, Tom, is... uh. Nothing good can come of two men trapped, yeah, in, a, trapped a, in a phallus. Trapped in a giant phallus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's essentially what Lighthouse's houses kind of look like sometimes. <laughs> Which and also, all- they were talking about uh, a while Eggers was up for like writing a Nosferatu uh, uh-huh. reboot. And all, like just Nosferatu is also like a movie that's full of phallic symbols, which mm-hmm. is very interesting. <laughs> and there's so much just, you know. Speaking, Connor, of it being you know a masculine movie, mm-hmm. there's so much. Um, I mean, what else are two dudes expulsion. gonna do? Yeah. Um, and it's one thing that one editing thing that I think is so hysterical. And one of the I think, what is it? Four masturbation scenes in this yeah. movie. At least. With also, these yeah. the second movie this year I've watched with Robert Pattinson masturbating in it. So wow. he's on a streak. <laughs> yes. The man must be stopped. <laughs> He is contaminating our cinema. <laughs> but the one, the one cut that I thought was so brilliant in the first, the first sequence where we, we see him doing that to the um, the small uh, scrimsh- uh, scrimshaw figure of the mermaid um, is right as it, it, you know, it just keeps panning toward him and panning toward him until he's a black, like mostly a black silhouette. So it goes to a black screen, and then right as let's say it reaches its nadir, uh, we hear this gush of like ocean water. This <laughs> <laughs> is like objectively funny like and obviously intentionally funny yeah yeah this is a film where just like to go back a little bit to technical stuff where like the sound design and editing Mm -hmm. was so important to it even just the um the ship noises at the very beginning um just over and over again you could like feel how that's like already creating this like environment you're walking into oh the foghorn foghorn is like I also liked uh, one thing I picked up on was that the mermaid, 
who spoilers is not a nice little mermaid. Um, <laughs> she is not a little is, mermaid. Yeah, uh, she shrieks with the same like tone as the the light. It's real the similar. Fog. Yeah. Like it's very similar, no. just a higher pitch. Oh, I didn't think about that. And like. I think that the use of sound in this movie, like I'm, I'm one who loves atmospheric horror movies, mm. and this has been one of the creepiest for me because I haven't seen a lo- like a very good atmospheric one in a long time. Um, but what really, like, just to give an example of like a sound thing that really got to me was the famous. Uh, what's probably going to be the big quote from this movie down the road <laughs> is, oh, I just spill your beans, um, is when that repeats uh, after they have like their conversation and it just echoes through the empty lighthouse. And I'm like, this is like ghost story level crap. This is terrifying. <laughs> and that scene like terrified me when I was in the theater. Like it just made me feel like uncomfortable. But at the same time, I'm like, this is what I wanted. I wanted a creepy lighthouse ghost story type thing, but I don't even know if it's that. But either way, that sound is going to be, oh, that stuck with me. <laughs> and that cuts to, from so many different things. That's like in the middle of a series of just like insane happenings that are yeah, going yeah. on. That's yeah. when it starts to become really like, in terms of it's like pacing and editing, like violently abstract and intense. Yeah. yeah. And also like the, the, speaking of the sound design with that sequence, like I noticed the second time as I'm watching it, like you you hear it before you hear him say it for the first time as Pattinson's like glancing across across the room toward that stairwell. You just hear the room tone suck out. Mm. So it's just sort of like the natural, just like, why just spare your beans? And then it just begins yeah. with this like Ugh. tension. It's incredible. I think the most haunting use of sound for me was at the very end. Uh, Pattinson kills Defoe. Spoiler. Sure does. Um, takes his key, goes up to the finally to the top of the lighthouse, goes up there and it's this alien looking. It kind of reminded me of um, what Dr. Manhattan makes in Watchmen on Mars. Like this yeah. kind of like oh, clockwork. Like clock yeah, oh, yeah tesseract yeah. sort of shape. And there's nothing else that looks like it in the whole movie. And so and then he opens it up and sticks his hand in. And then all the sound just like bottoms out, just cuts out. And you think you're going to like, well, it's going to feedback and it's going to hurt your ears. It kind of bottoms out, but then it like becomes like the score just like swells and you can hear his like, like, I guess his instruction for the scene or motivation for the scene was like it's it's so much like egg, like ecstatic and like satis so much satisfaction that it's like crushingly painful. Mm. Um, and his acting in that scene is wild. And yeah, it's like the dis- visual distortion where it becomes like more overexposed, and the sonic distortion of like his screams becomes like it, it reminds me of like the end of uh, two thousand one Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. like oh. that level of like total cinematic distortion. And the door opens itself. Yeah, yes. which I love. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Almost as though it's, like, been waiting. Yeah. I know, and then I'm like, what the fuck? Is, are we getting into alien shit? <laughs> like, where is this going? And then, oh, God, right after that, like, the hard cut from, like, the, like, blown out and totally alien-like style mm-hmm. of that shot and, like, his the character's, like, final satisfied ecstasy. And then it just cuts right back to the conventional, like, cinematic style of the film as he falls and smashes his leg mm-hmm. and then just rolls down the stairs of the lighthouse. So crazy. Yeah. And then that transitions to the final shot of the movie. Oh, oh my god. That gosh. shot is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's just lying on the beach, eyes missing, and the seagulls, and the seagulls play a super important part throughout the whole movie, are just like pecking out his guts in like a very Prometheus. Yeah, know? absolutely. Like, it looks exactly like there's this very famous painting. I don't remember who painted it, but of Prometheus. It looks verbatim mm. to that scene. Yeah. Which then ties into what is certainly my favorite monologue of the movie and my favorite moment when um, Defoe is like, he's basically like, well, you liked my lobster, didn't you? And Pattinson's (laughs) like, no. And he like curses him of like King Triton and all. I know know a few of us have pulled it up. I mean, Um, shall we? I think we shall. Are you going to do the voice, Dave? So you're 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 all queued up. I'm ready so to be this Winslow. Is, uh, this yeah, this is a rant in the movie. I think this, uh, <clears throat> as you'll see when it reaches its its final uh, final line, I think is maybe one of the funniest moments in the movie. <clears throat> so this is yeah, this is. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> so I goes. I'll be embodying uh, Thomas Wake, which is uh, Defoe's character. You'll be embodying uh, Ephraim Winslow. So that goes as follow. You're fond of my lobster, ain't you? I seen it. You're, you're fond of me lobster. Say it. Say it. Say it. I don't have to say nothing. Damn ye! Let Neptune strike ye dead, Winslow. Hark! Hark! Triton! Hark! Bellow! Bid our father the sea king rise from the depths full foul in his fury. Black waves teeming from the salt to smother this young mouth with pungent slime. To choke ye! 
Engorging ye organs till ye turn blue and bloated with bilge and brine and can scream no more. Only when he, crowned in cockle shells at slithering tentacle tail and steam and beer take up, he fell befinned arm, his coral tine triton screeching banshee-like in the tempest and plunges straight into your gullet, bursting ye! A bulging bladder no more, but a blasted bloody film now nothing for the harpies and the souls of dead sailors to peck and claw and feed upon, only to be lapped up and swallowed by the infinite waters of the dread emperor himself. Forgotten by any man, to any time, forgotten to any god or devil, forgotten even to the sea, for any stuff for part of Winslow, even any scantling of your soul is Winslow no more, but is itself... The sea. All right. Have it your way. I liked your cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such an incredible moment. I mean, he goes on in this insane rant, this manic, like, invoking of, like, um, like uh, Greek and, uh, and maritime <laughs> yeah. mythology oh, rant for, like, a solid two minutes. And Eggers uh, remarked that it was done in one take. Whoa. Oh my gosh. And that he, he remarked that like Willem Dafoe didn't blink for like the solid two minute take. Amazing. And then Pattinson's like completely diffusing line of just, all right, have it your way. I like your lobster. <laughs> like and then cooking. it just hangs there for like just a second long enough for you to like have a hesitant laugh. And then it hard cut to the exterior. So, you know, you're supposed to laugh. Oh my God. It's yeah. so expertly edited. I need to remember that. So when I'm old and people piss me off, I can just throw that out and freak them out. And they'll be like, okay. Somebody like bumps into you on the bus. It's like, just, just go lady. I don't care. <laughs> All the might of Poseidon upon ye for taking my bus seat. <laughs> Exactly. And that's um, what happens to him at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's like, I, I thought it was great foreshadowing. I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, this is possibly going to happen to the end. And it kind of does end that way. I was like, yeah, that's perfect foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what he gets for killing the seagull. Which, which we got to talk about the gull. It's got to be the best seagull murder scene in all of cinema, right? <laughs> no seagulls were harmed yes. during the making of <laughs> this movie. Too, yes. <laughs> in fact, there were trained seagulls. Um that all, uh, all play the uh, the one-eyed seagull, which I believe, uh, oh, there were three that have names, and I forget. It's like Johnny something else and something else. <laughs> Johnny the seagull? Pretty much, Aww. yeah. Which um, is kind of like that one like famous, I forget that one's name too. I think it's like Johnny the Raven, that famous raven that's <laughs> yeah. in several films. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's totally an important like symbolic character. As uh, Defoe expresses, uh, in them's the s- uh, souls of sailors that met mm-hmm. their makers. Um, um, for me, like being uh, having a big interest in maritime history, I was so excited that they did the seagull thing, uh, and I liked that they stuck with it for so long because it reminded me of the rhyme of the ancient mariner, yeah, the classic poem by um, Coleridge, mm-hmm. and like, like from maritime backs like background, like you don't get a lot of like ghost stories. You get ghost ships and stuff, but they're usually based on like real wrecks and stuff. But when you get like the rhyme of the ancient mariner, it's like freaking the Odyssey, the Mar- Mar- the Odyssey to hell, basically. <laughs> And the yeah, whole thing is triggered much. because the the mariner, being a dingbat, shot the albatross, which you're not supposed to do, just in general, but you're not supposed to do it with maritime lore because of the uh, superstition, and everything goes to hell. And just like in this movie with the uh, wonderful graphic and over-the-top <laughs> murder of the seagull, it ends up with uh, the wind changing immediately afterwards, and you're like, yay, mariner's getting his revenge! <laughs> <laughs> um, and also for me was something I really I picked up on later in the stories like when Pattinson's in his Prometheus pose at the end of the movie he's missing an eye just like mm-hmm. that seagull uh-huh. was missing yeah. and it's like kind of a great like dramatic irony where it's like guess what you messed with the lore and now it's coming back to and you still chest. see him breathing his chest yeah. slowly oh. rising up and down as and he's just... I think he I think the thing I read was that the seagulls were like much harder to train than like Black Phillip was like it was like oh, yeah. sorry everyone like Seagulls are still like worse than goats or something. And so I thought that was really funny. I I mean the way that bird was in some of those scenes was like amazing and really sinister. (laughs) And like when we as soon as we got up and like were about to walk out of the film, I kept thinking of like the animal stuff. And the first thing Garrett said was, So I need this guy to make like five other movies so I can write a crazy (laughs) essay on this guy (laughs) and animals in films. Because I think Black Phillip is really iconic in the witch, but but 
There is also a scene with, I think, a crow in the witch where it, like, is pecking oh, right. at the mother. Yeah, it's and it's grisly. really grisly and, yeah. and gross. Um, so it's also, it, specifically, there is some, like, bird imagery in both movies as well. Yeah, I was definitely thinking of that crow scene, the witch, because I believe she also thinks it's her baby at her breast, right? Right, but it's, it's actually... like nursing, but it's yeah. just pecking her. Yeah. Oh, mm. so gross. <laughs> Thoughts on, as Eggers second movie thoughts on like how do you guys feel about this like how it speaks to the witch or kind of thinking about the witch while watching this movie any kind of thoughts on that for me there are two really interesting interpretations of isolation and Mm -hmm. especially in new england which like has a history of these like kind of isolating areas and elements Mm -hmm. so it's kind of cool to see those two things um but for for me the thing i kept thinking a lot about was how the way the witch ends feels empowering in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for this for this young woman who is, you know, beaten down by puritanical culture at the time, where this movie is not empowering <laughs> at all to either of... I mean, maybe Defoe actually a little bit more in some ways, but Pattinson very, very much not yeah. uh, in any sort of way. Um, De- Defoe, they, like, depict in powerful imagery in a few times, which are two or three really interesting moments in the movie there's yeah like one the one sequence where they they finally comes to blows between the two of them over like the book and like Defoe writing off his labor and like trying to like ruin him and them gaslighting each other and constantly drinking so it's just land the isolation all of it kind of coming to a head and as he's like having this row and beating the hell out of Defoe he morphs into different things at first he becomes he's represented as like a man that he um Pattinson's character may have killed or didn't save which is important then he uh, kind of transforms into the mermaid figure and then in very (laughs) shining fashion like in this like fight like suddenly there's this like you know mermaid seductress that's like Mm. like, kind of a siren and like luring him and then the next thing we see is like he's going down to like kiss who we know is defoe because they're fighting he kind of pulls back and it's defoe again but like laughing maniacally as like this kind of like triton figure mm. like enshrined with like barnacles, barnacles and yeah and like cackling so it's like the weird like shining like uh shower sequence a little bit yeah. in terms of like that versus yeah. that i thought it was also interesting in that scene if you compare that to an earlier scene in the movie where uh Pattinson has another weird vision or whatever it is yeah but he visualizes he's being watched by willem dafoe who in the first vision appears as like triton like the greeks would have seen him with the eyes or the lighthouse oh, i love that, that yeah. scene Amazing. is so powerful but then you look at this scene where he ends up turning into like a lovecraftian version of triton mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting because i think you could interpret that from the perspective that um by this point Patton thinks pattinson thinks he's superior to willem dafoe versus being like judged by him continuously now he or wants at to least just get is, yeah seizing his like mm-hmm. his like, dignity back through violence yeah. yeah and it's like he like it morphs into like a monstrous maritime stuff versus the like greek and chiseled and more like dramatic like almost heroic vision that you see in the first one well i'm going back okay. to the that famous painting of prometheus he's yeah. very much like a sculpt greek figure who's tragically being tortured yeah. and at the end of this movie mm. it is nothing is like heroic yeah. about pattinson at the no. end of it no and that you know obviously the the whole Prometheus myth, the stealing of the light mm-hmm. that belonged to the gods and the hubris yeah. of uh, this Titan who was, who was trying to do it and that punishment, yeah. So do yeah. we think that, like, I don't know, what do we think this all... I know we've got to ask this before and didn't really arrive at an answer. What does this all mean? I mean, is this an allegory for, like, a perpetual experience that he's having in, like, this punishment? Is it reflective of almost, like, Defoe's character and Pattinson's character being the same? Because... And on the one hand, it's both men who have worked with an individual that they perhaps were responsible for the deaths of. Mm. And they're both named Tom. And they're which, both named Tom. Which we, the <laughs> next day, I, I was like, this thought has been like in my head a lot. And it was kind of a thought, one of the ones I dropped, where when he first reveals his name is Tom, I'm like, oh, is he trying to steal Defoe's identity like he may have done for this other man who he potentially murdered? Right, right. (gasps) I didn't even think of that. That's pretty good. Which I'm like, by the end of the movie, I'm like, I don't think anyone's theory of this movie is right. I think it just is what it is, and I'm really cool with that. But like when I was like, 
there's a reason why both of these characters' names end up being Tom, and it's very odd that that's the choice. And Tom yeah. is here with Tom us right here. now. Tom is here, but I can tell you that I am neither Will Defoe or Robert Pattinson. <laughs> Uh, but no, Thank that God. was that was a very interesting experience. Just being named Tom and seeing that movie, uh, it was just like, oh, he's named Tom. Oh, he's named Tom. Oh, they both go crazy. There's... Oh, one of them does something that Mariners often probably fantasized about. Which is, I think <laughs> another scene that's worth bringing attention uh, to. Uh, you know, yeah. Are you talking about go, the, the mermaid scene? By all means, yeah. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, well, I think one of the most sh- other we talked about shocking scenes early, earlier a little bit, but I think another scene that was both like artistic, shocking, and in a weird way slightly beautiful um is there's a scene where robert pattinson finally in one of his weird whatever he's going throughs ends up actually sleeping and by mean that i mean having sex with a mermaid and uh and it's very <laughs> graphic a it's a very on. very graphic scene but i feel like i mean and Mariners always like fantasize about that stuff in a lot yeah. of the old stories. It's always like this in their figurehead and really on their ship. Really, they just wanted and... to fuck a manatee. Like... Yeah, it's just like <laughs> I'm thinking about women, but surrounded by fish. What happens? Yeah, it's like yeah. <laughs> I thought that was very well, interesting. That prosthetic, I would love to learn yeah. more oh about that behind the scenes because the way that they and Tom, we were talking about this yes. the other day yeah. of how they transitioned from this beautiful woman yes. transition. She's like you know naked, you know hu- naked human at the top, fish at yes. the bottom. The way they transitioned, like the gills on her hips and the scales yeah, on her. That follows his yeah and, and interestingly he like follows his gaze and mm-hmm. like his desire because you see his hand yes. kind of go d- go down her face essentially it kind of lingers at the nipple and then makes its way yeah. further down her like her side and we start to see gills and he starts to get more and more freaked out as yeah. do we the audience mm. yeah that was i think that was I, I as i said the other day it was very powerful because first of all great prosthetic work like there's no seams or anything yeah. but yeah. also like it looked not I would say real because you know mermaids aren't real, but um, but it like kind of looked like how you'd imagine if there was like a flesh and blood mermaid. And My immediate the, I, reaction was, "Oh, that's what it would look like." Oh, so it's like, okay. okay. on the front. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying. I mean, I also did. I also did know that one of those one of the trivia is saying that they based it off of sharks. Really? Yeah. Oh, that, that makes sense. Oh. The sort of like shape this is weird of for it, me to talk yeah. About, like private parts, but yeah. like they based it off of like sharks. Yeah, that okay. Which oh. that was another moment where Garrett was like, "Is this like weird Cthulhu kind of imagery yeah. with the way that it's designed and and shaped and very stuff ornate. too?" Yeah. It is. It's very cool looking. Yeah. I I loved that part. Um, I feel like they captured they captured a lot like. I think when it comes to maritime, like especially storytelling, like nowadays especially, you start to see more and more appearance of like H.P. Lovecraft inspirations, mm-hmm. which I think in a lot of ways is kind of like the horror of maritime and the ocean and ships and all that. But I think you also see great images of like Greek mythology, mm-hmm. where you have like you talk about the Greeks and their navies and you know all the battles they had with their triremes, and there's like the romantic approach to it, but then there's the truly horrific like like nightmare inducing like ocean related things and they merged together in such a way that was kind of like it's like a one side of the island is nice and beautiful like romanticized like mm. lore and then on the other it's like the lovecraftian like they're you're doomed type going thing <laughs> the for deep you. ones are coming for surrounded you. Yeah. by decay yeah yeah it's decay barnacles ones. and slime climbing, like slime like yeah it's just so gross yeah the like, the tentacle part towards closer towards the beginning like the first mm-hmm. time he's kind of spying on defoe in the lighthouse masturbation really... sequence yeah. too also, yeah it's so very awkward scene. i know because like everyone audibly groaned yeah. in the theater <laughs> when they just saw like, stuff drip down you but then you saw is. like the actual like tentacle above and I was uh-huh. like, oh, this is just like fascinating. Whatever is happening here. I mean, at that point, I also felt like that scene was another good scene. I feel like uh, like they, they only showed in like one brief like showing of it. But the thing is, that scene is really creepy because it also ties into the question of the end scene when Pattinson finally uh, sees that the light opens itself. So the question then can be raised is like, is there something in the light? Like, is there right. a Lovecraftian unknown horror mm. there? Is it haunted? It also kind of harkens back to Wilm Dafoe, who was probably just messing with Pattinson at this point. But at one point he says his former light key assistant help um, believed that there was some enchantment in the light. Right, right. Like, I thought it was kind of interesting because at one scene you're like, oh, great, it's another scene where that's kind of awkward to watch. But then it turns into like a Lovecraft thing. And you're like, ooh, is there more to this than what? they initially led you to believe 
It's like that blending mm. of like what is happening in this movie. Which I thought was interesting because I, I I kept being like, is this stuff real? Is it just him going crazy? Are they dream sequences? And then I was like, even if there's supernatural stuff going on, it kind of doesn't matter because at the end, right. it's just these two men are destroying themselves and each other actively mm-hmm. um, in this situation they're currently in. And, like, I almost wonder, like, my my takeaway might have been that, like, perhaps he's reaching into the, like, it's been so much buildup. There's been this, mm. this insistence that the light is mine. You cannot have it. You cannot access it. You cannot see it. And when he gets up there, it's just a lighthouse. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, maybe that, like, uh, ecstasy is, like, the ecstasy of, like, the triumph of, uh, of overcoming Willem Dafoe's, like, uh, denial mm. and, like, his subjugation at his hands as a worker, but also, like, his pained dissatisfaction at discovering that this coveted and secretly heralded uh source of like Willem Dafoe's fascination has just been in fact a lighthouse yeah I was wondering like is he being rejected by it in this moment where it's like too much for him is it something where it is just like oh that's all it is and you know he can't handle that and then thought he goes itself. mad yeah yeah ugh and it's like I'm so glad I don't have answers like, yeah. I'd be so disappointed yeah. if I knew because this movie allows for your mind to just like run rampant. It's kind of like a playground for the imagination. I thought about that so much. Like, sometimes when movies are intentionally vague, it just pisses me off. And for this, <laughs> I was like, oh, this like totally works for me on every level. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Us that came out earlier this year. Mm. When I feel like the more I unpacked that movie, the like the more interested I became in it of like, oh, there's all these different yeah. like angles. And so I feel like Us, The Lighthouse, are toe that fine line between like well there was enough info i'm not you know interested or like oh but i love that there's not that much info the conversations i had after us Mm -hmm. were like almost more fascinating than just like watching the movie yeah yeah i'd agree with that yeah and like talking like about this movie i was like very excited too because i'm just like i don't know what to do with this stuff and like garrett (laughs) and i were kind of bouncing off each other but i was like i need like i need more like community and people who've seen this movie who you can need talk a podcast. about it. I need yeah. a podcast where we can do this, yeah. I felt when I was watching the movie, I, f- I firmly agree. I think that the vagueness of this movie is one of the things that makes it so impactful. Like, this is definitely my top, probably five, at least top ten movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, but what really impacted me, too, was that the medium it was presented in, the black and white and so forth, yeah. it reminded me of two things. The first one was that it reminded me of... Uh, a movie called Night of the Hunter from 1954, I believe, I've with heard of that. Robert yeah, Mi- um, Robert Mitchum. It's about a serial killing preacher in the Midwest. Mm. Uh, it's a really great Southern Gothic, but it was filmed. It was by um, uh, um, what's his name, William. Uh, Charles Lawton, Charles Lawton, okay. who's a famous actor who played Quasimodo at one point. Oh, it's the right, only movie, right. oh. only movie he ever made because it was a bomb when it came out. But the movie was heavily inspired by German cinema in the early 20th century, to the point where it was essentially they used almost like uh, abstract visions of like the farmhouse and Robert Mitchum's like this like charismatic wolf in sheep's clothing uh preacher who kills around and kills people and he's just chasing these two children the whole movie trying to get the money uh that their father had stolen during an event but the thing is is like the feel of that movie is it's like you're watching a play and i felt when i was watching the lighthouse mm-hmm. bring to my second point is i felt like it, this could be a brilliant play on a stage because you only have two guys mm. and one woman playing the role of the mermaid we talked about that a little bit and i think that visually it reminded me a lot of this movie but it was also truly um it was something that made me want to just keep go back and watching it and also hoping like down the road maybe someone will actually make a play of it because it's, it's so good i'm so happy you brought up the theatrical part of it because eggers and his brother were trained in theater that's their mm-hmm. professional background before getting in the movies and so he was saying he was inspired by the work of samuel beckett harold pinter mm-hmm. these are big time yeah mm-hmm, these absurdist playwrights of you know the mid-20th century and so he was like i just i basically just wanted to write a, a two-hander just with two amazing actors just slowly you know becoming unhinged but the, we were talking tori of like it feels like this is taking all the theatrical structure conventions but doing it in only a way that cinema can accomplish mm-hmm. with the aspect yeah. ratio the use of shadows 
So it's just so, and as a theater major, whenever I see a movie, I just always kind of think about like, oh, how would this like work as a play? And I feel like this takes the structure of a play, but it would be so hard to replicate. I would love to see somebody try to do it. There is a play uh, based on what, um, what some folks think this movie is based on to a degree called The Lighthouse that was a British play um, that was response to a uh, historical event, which ties into um, – uh, the suggestion that both of them are named Tom. Um, there was uh, something, uh, the Smalls Lighthouse uh, was erected in Wales in 1776 uh, and was the site of a grisly episode in 1801 when the Wikis, as we know them professionally now, yes. via this film, um, Thomas Griffith and Thomas Howell uh, became stranded in a series of sea squalls. The two men were known to quarrel, so when Griffith died either of an illness or an accident, there are conflicting reports. Howard feared that he may be suspected of murder if he buried Griffith at sea. As such, he kept the body within the station for a time up until it began to decompose. At this point, he cobbled together a makeshift coffin for Griffith, hanging it from the upper rail of the lighthouse. Uh, as the swalls continued, they battered the coffin apart, leaving only Griffith's still decaying corpse swinging outside the only window of the station. The wind pitching it back and forth, causing Griffith's hand to wrap against the window, almost as if beckoning Howell for weeks. Um, Howell managed to keep the lamp lit for the duration of the episode until rescue, at which point his mind had become so unraveled that landlocked acquaintances of him no longer recognized him physically or personally. Um, as a result of this incident, uh, the policy regarding wiki rosters uh, per station was changed from two to three and remained the policy until the automation of British lighthouses until the 1980s. Which is interesting, too, because that would have been well before this mm. movie took place. And Eggers is a research hound, so like mm. he would have known that. But at the same time, this is set in New England, so I don't know if the same maritime yeah. wiki yeah. standards apply. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel like there was a Simpsons episode parrying that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, that's, yeah, some that's... roots in uh, some crazy factual history. And also that movie, uh, or that, that story is uh, pretty well captured in another movie called The Lighthouse that came out in 2016 that I watched earlier today in preparation, which was okay. Mm. Um I'd say I, I would have enjoyed it a lot had I not seen this movie. <laughs> I just like the idea that he's like, yeah, if I just like throw him in the ocean, like that's too weird. I'll let the body decompose and then I'll hang the coffin <laughs> and let that unravel. And then everyone will think it's normal. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Pattinson even pulls up the old assistant's head. As he's Which is to missing crab. an eye, as is yeah. the sequel. Yes. Oh. And as is him that. at the end. So it could, again, be this entire cycle of like purgatorial hell of uh, Promethean proportions for uh, Robert uh, Pattinson's character. And How long have they been on this rock? And Five that's the thing, Defoe seems days? to be the one who's constantly adding these like, well, are we just fucking nuts kind of like elements to it? Do I even exist? Yeah, and it's, it's like, what are you doing here? Are you just like, eh, I'm gonna roll with this being crazy thing and I'm just gonna keep like adding like some fire to it? The first time when he comes, after he kills a seagull, the storms are changing, there's this fun little thermometer, Tommy might know more about these like a thermometer that's like storm it's like a stormometer a stormometer are those real Uh, it's probably based on like a barometric thing or something Mm. yeah but that is like another like ticking clock thing it was like we talked about the book being the ticking clock but also like there's little subtle things in the movie that are very like ticking clock like you know like that the barometer that device we'll call it like the whole movie it is started like starting to count down Mm -hmm. and then when he does the ancient mariner redux uh that's when it like triggers it and it ends up causing it to like happen so i think it's another like there's a lot of ticking time bombs in this movie that are like subtle at first but then you look back and like oh wow that was already gonna happen (laughs) and then the men themselves are ticking Mm -hmm. time bombs or even just like some of the foreshadowing like the uh, willem dafoe says at one point after they're like um they're waking up the one day is like something about having a dream about him like splitting his head in two which yeah. we get at the end of the movie. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that was one of my favorite jump scares of all time. Oh god, I can't believe so how great scary. that was. Yeah. Well, and the use of how Eggers does there's throughout the movie. This I think happens five or six times. It's focused on the character. It slowly pans away, and then you see the other character standing in the doorway. Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then when Pattinson, after this huge storm that almost destroys the whole like lighthouse structure, finds the book, opens it up, it pans away, and you're like, he's going to be there, but Defoe's not there. He's not there. And then maybe what, 15 minutes later, after they after he destroys the boat, Pattinson goes back inside. He thinks he killed Defoe. Defoe comes running in with an axe out of the side and just chops him in the arm. Yeah, it's kind of like the Jaws thing where it's yeah. like sometimes you like get the cue that like something's going to mm-hmm. happen and it doesn't. And then other times it does. Yeah. yeah. 
That's... And also just how awesome that surprise is because yeah. we see him like it's this whole scene where after he's like finally subdued Willem Dafoe's character, he leads him out in this humiliating and dehumanizing way on a leash like a dog and then goes to bury him alive. And like we assume that like it kind of leaves us with like him there dead as like seemingly dead as like Pattinson picks up the keys and is going back. So then like when he bursts in through that door and we just get that orchestral swell of just win. Mm. It's like the light is mine. And he bashes him with the ax. I was shocked. Here's my, here's something I just thought of that might be a kind of a good spin on this is what if it actually didn't happen? What if it was Pattinson's last shred of sanity going away? And then when, Willem Dafoe came in it was actually an illusion it's like him mentally compensating yeah yeah. and then he gets hit with it he kills him and then he goes up to the lighthouse like immediately afterward and he doesn't seem to show after that yeah he shrugs off the fact that he just got his shoulders (laughs) he's like spurting out of his arm too a little bit if you watch but like he's he's pretty much just drinking the (laughs) yeah yeah oh my god also what the fuck was that so it was the did they add, just add honey to it? They added honey to the kerosene, which is like, that's another thing too. It reminded me of The Master because that's a movie Ugh. about mixing like military grade like, ship fuel with mm. like things to cut it and drink it. And just I, how <laughs> inevitably that destroys your brain. Also just how alcoholism is yeah. a part of this, a feature of this film. Like yeah. it tilts into full blown insanity the minute they both start drinking. Yeah. Mm. Well, and so realistic too of, at first, you know, I guess they're not supposed to have alcohol as part of, like, against the regulations. And so Defoe pours, I guess, vodka or whatever it is for both of them. And Pat's like, oh, I'm not going to drink. I read the rule book. Goes to fill up water, but the water's, like, tainted. Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> he hasn't cleaned the pipes yet. Yeah. And yeah. so I bet that happened all the time on stuff like this. Of like, all they had to drink was booze. And historically, yeah. too, you, see, you know, pure, clean water is only, what, 100 years old? as like, an yeah. idea. To 150. I think another thing that's interesting is that when they realize that they missed their boat, which for the record I found was one of the funniest scenes because it was very like I don't know, like Jeff Bridges could have pulled it off, where it's like <laughs> they're standing on the, the 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 bluff and they're like, the boat didn't come, and then they just like walk back to the lighthouse in the middle of the storm. It was just oh, really funny. They're just getting yeah, they're yeah. just getting battered by the wind, and yeah. then the next shot is them sitting there and like for reasons that no Robert Pattinson's character probably wouldn't say because they both would realize this had happened. He, he goes out of his way for the audience to say after a brief silence, they didn't come. <laughs> and it's like, well, why would you have said that? But that's, that's still great. Yeah. But what I thought was cool. Interesting about that is that when Willem Dafoe starts panicking, first of all, that comes out of nowhere, yeah. which I thought was very, another kind of like subtly creepy thing. It's like, you didn't, he's been real. I mean, as kooky as he is in the movie, he's relatively like when it comes to being the light keeper, he's mm. pretty straightforward. Like he, he's pretty on top of it. But then like at the moment they run, they like, he comes in, he's like, stop eating all the rations. And he's like, what are yes. you talking about? It brings <laughs> to the question of like, all right, how much time has gone by? Right. Um, was it really, he was planning on him going anyway. And he, um, just realized like, Oh crap, we have no food. <laughs> but I also like to point out that the rations that they find on the lighthouse <laughs> are just alcohol. Yeah, yeah, which I think is kind of a fun inversion of the whole like joke they made in Pirates of the Caribbean one, which is like why well, they're using the rum, the island as a rum mm. runner, and that sounds like a haven for everybody. But then you're like, alcohol in a creepy isolated lighthouse is not a good thing, yeah. <laughs> and like that plays into it. But I thought that was like another thing that's like a great example of like was Defoe mousing with them? Was he losing time? Was he becoming mechanical in a way? Because in the beginning, he just does the same thing over and over again. And does he, is he losing it? Like, is he already, like, is he really losing it? Like he's blacking out and just automaton or what? It's like another one of those like million questions that comes up. Yeah. Especially because, well, and with the alcohol too, especially because the time is relatively well moderated up until the night that they start pounding down drinks. And then any sense of like the, any accurate sense of the passage of time flies right out the window. Yeah. It's yeah. And when you you brought up like the how this movie talks about like masculinity and mm-hmm. stuff like that, I think Pattinson's character is so interesting to watch throughout the movie, because like the more you learn about him and see how he's acting, it's like he seems to be a pretty like unremarkable human being. <laughs> um, and like, you know, like. Uh, Defoe is writing all these bad notes about him and you're like well like how much of that is like actually true or not yeah. but he's got this like 
sense of pride at the same time where he I'm a like good worker. Yeah, and like he gets really upset that he's like made to clean the floors and like do all this extra work. So he does have this like I, I'm not like okay with the fact that I'm being treated this way. But also it's like, dude, you're starting from like the beginning. Like that's I you know, that's kind of how this stuff works. Like you're not all of a sudden just gonna be like the lighthouse keeper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like um so it was like kind of interesting watching him throughout the film just trying to find like power in this weird situation they're both in i felt that scene that also that kind of like especially when he says like i'm a good worker he just emphasizes this a lot in the middle of the movie but that also reminded me a lot of like the shining once again is like in the movie the jack tarns character is like he's like oh i'm a hard worker i'm you know i'm trying to avoid this this and this but as the stories progress they get worse and you start to question if they're actually like and like Shelley Duvall is anyway. the only one that's actually getting work done yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's just like it's one of those things where it's like very interesting when you think about it like that like yeah mm-hmm. any any other like scenes or thoughts people have what stuck out to me pretty much for the entire film is the use of perspective and how we see, like, one scene sticks out in my mind so much is when he's, I guess, cleaning the foghorn. And the oh, way man. that the scene shot up is, like, there's a ladder leaning on a giant cone. And you're, like, not sure what direction we're looking at. And then he just pops out of the side of the cone. Oh, this is, like, the foghorn. <laughs> and even the beginning, it starts with just, like, a gray wash. And I thought it was, like, rain coming down. But then it moves forward and you see the lighthouse. And so for me, I was like, oh, we're, like, we don't know which way is up mm-hmm. sometimes, like, during establishing shots. And I thought that yeah. was you know, use so perfectly throughout so much of the movie of like, visually, I don't even know what to look at or how to orientate myself in the scene. Yeah, I'd say it's like, uh, the only way I can think to describe it is like, either equal parts delightful and insane, Mm -hmm. or like the most serenely disorienting experience I can imagine. Mm. (laughs) Like I walked out of the theater on at the Ritz, so second and Walnut, um, in a city I've lived in for like 13 years. And like I walked out of that theater, a theater I've been to a bunch of times, and it took me like six blocks to even get my bearings and figure out where I was. Because <laughs> like it felt like it felt like seeing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time. Mm. It felt like seeing the end of uh, 2001 Space Odyssey for the first time. It felt like um, a lot of The Shining is just so serenely and satisfyingly disorienting in a way that like being narratively gaslit as an audience on top of like this cinematically abstract and pretty insane and unraveling film was like ugh. it's, yeah. it's the cinema that i live for there was one review that uh simply put it as a uh, cinema to make your head and soul ring mm-hmm. <laughs> and like man that's accurate this movie is bonkers and i adore it definitely my favorite film of the year mm-hmm. i walked out of the theater and all i was like so ready to be like i'm gonna i there's so much we have to talk about and say about this and all i could say was like I think I liked it. And that was like all I got. <laughs> I told you, Dave, that I felt like I aged 10 years. There was there was an old, older lady who, um, there, the first time I saw it, an older couple approached me as I was like, because I was standing in the back just waiting for like all the credits to roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just approached me and the older lady just turned to me and says, what do you think that was about? <laughs> like very dissatisfied. And like the only thing I could say was like, I don't know, but what a ride. And yeah. then she walked off uh, dissatisfied with my answer, but I was glowing. So yeah, I, I loved it. <laughs> it was great. I, I mean, we just talked about it, and I'm still just kind of in a daze from this yeah. movie, which feels so so strange. I walked out of the theater, and I was like, "That was amazing! It was better than I could possibly imagine." Mm-hmm. And then I stood there for a second, thinking, "What did I just watch?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So much unpacking to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and the more like I talked about it and tried to be like, well, maybe it's this and maybe it's this, the more I was satisfied with it not necessarily being any of those things and maybe being all of those things at the same time. I was like, fine. Yes. Yeah. I've never been uh, happier within a film to shrug and say, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and if this was Edgar's second movie, like who, like him, like him and Jordan Peele and Ari Aster, like all these new up and coming filmmakers, mm-hmm. like, yeah, what what the next, yeah, what a great ten to twenty years we got out of these folks working. We'll see yeah. because uh apparently within ten minutes of um him having won the uh director award for um the lighthouse at um uh at Sundance. Or no, I'm sorry, for the witch. He mm-hmm. won that for the witch. Um within ten minutes his agent had been called for like a franchise picture. 
<laughs> and basically he was like, well, no. I mean, what? Like, fuck no. <laughs> um, the, the thing I, I read recently is that he's working on a mini series about Rasputin. Ooh. Which sounds fucking phenomenal on every level. So Yeah, that does Man. sound really yeah, good. Yeah, okay. I love Rasputin. I love, yeah, I love that. Yeah, Russia, Revolution, Romanovs. Oh my god. Also, do you guys know the Rasputin song, like the disco song? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh there's a movie we saw at the film festival called um the Oh fuck, I forget. It's a Chinese neo noir and it's something like Goose Lake, but I keep forgetting the name of it. But there was a moment where like they're all like doing like a disco in the middle of the square, and then all of a sudden I was like, Fuck, that's the Rasputin song. Like, what <laughs> is happening here? But it's like a ten-minute disco song. That sounds crazy. It's so great. My my history teacher played it for us when we like started learning about like the Romanovs and everything. That's cool. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. So, any any other thoughts or anything? Please see it. Yeah. yeah. Please see for it. It's sure. an amazing movie. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. Um, when we went to the Ritz to go see it, we saw it Saturday night, and the theater was packed. Um, and they were doing, like, it's on two screens there. Uh, the Parasite is on two screens there, which I think is why it was so insane. But, like, I've never seen the Ritz that packed. So it's really cool yeah. that these two films yeah. are doing what seem to be doing really, really well. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Cool. Um, well, I don't think we're doing like a break or anything for this, right? Yeah, I guess Thank we'll you. just, uh, we'll wrap up with some plugs. I mean, you can follow us on social media, of course, through, uh, all our Butter With That channels. Butter With That podcast at gmail.com. If you see the movie, I know a few of our friends have seen it, please send us an email. We would love to read a little review that you write. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and thank you, Tom, for coming on. Pleasure. Thank you guys for ho- yeah. uh, having me. It's Tom, really do you want to awesome. plug anything? We usually just plug like our social media and like projects and things that we're doing. Yeah, but is there on? anything anything cool that you're like reading or watching or like some something else stoked you want to like recommend to people? Um I'm kind of boring, so nothing comes to mind right off the bat. But I can tell you, uh, the next movie I'm looking forward to comes out this weekend, and that is Doctor Sleep. Ah, it's getting sequel to uh, The Shining, and it's gonna. It got the blessing of Stephen King, and it's uh, kind of being developed as a sequel to the classic Stanley Kubrick movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just finished reading the book uh, about a week or so ago. It was an amazing book. It's one of my favorite Stephen King books, and I love Stephen King's books. Um, So I can't wait to see how that one goes. So. Definitely, Dinah. That's my next big one. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tom. We appreciate your well, maritime you knowledge. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, thank you for me. Uh, Cinema 76 also I just wrote a review for Light from Light which is a like a drama starring Jim Gaffigan he's fucking amazing in it um, and then Garrett and I just did a joint butter with that I like to movie movie podcast about the film festival so yeah. uh, I will hopefully send that sometime soon you guys can hear all the films we really liked at the fest uh, I saw 11 movies only one of them I actively hated. So it's pretty good. Good. Pretty good. Yep. Cool. Uh, well, thanks so much. Uh, please tune in for our next episodes. Um, I think this uh, movie also really worked well for the friends and uh, not friends, uh, but like family, family and, and food. food. Yes. Lobster. Uh, clearly, <laughs> clearly family. Because I don't know. I'm Maybe it's just me being from New England. But if that's not how your Thanksgiving ends, then I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, stay tuned for our next episode. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.